Art of the Cut is brought to you by Studio Network Solutions, helping video teams in over 70 countries transform the way they store, share, and organize content. Studio Network Solutions combines state-of-the-art shared storage hardware with intuitive media management software and powerful integrations for Adobe Premiere Pro, DaVinci Resolve, Avid, and Final Cut Pro 10. Visit studionetworksolutions.com and start creating amazing content faster. Hello and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with Jake Pushinsky, ACE. His credits include the films Fighting, Howl, and Empire State, and documentaries like The Making of a First Rounder, The Deshaun Jackson Story, and work on the TV series Wu-Tang and American Saga. And for this year's Ace Eddies, he was nominated for Best Editing on two different documentaries, Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice, and for What's My Name, Muhammad Ali. The Ali documentary won this year at the Eddies, and that is the film we're discussing with Jake today. So this is a movie that not many people, uh, compared to like some big narrative feature films, might have seen. Can you tell me a little bit about the movie? What kind of a documentary is it? This was a you know kind of historical doc on Muhammad Ali just as a basis, with the goal being to have... Ali tell his story through his own voice. So we did no sit-down interviews. We shot very minimal new footage. It was, I would say, probably 90 to 95% archival footage. And pretty much a start-to-finish life story. Um, The only things that we didn't dig into too much were his family, and mostly because he didn't talk about it in any of the footage or audio that we found. The story that he lived and told through interviews and footage over the years. You know, one of the ways that I kind of attacked the film was looking at it as sort of a verite film that had been filmed over the course of his life. He was so documented that there was interviews before fights, after fights, when he wasn't fighting as if you had followed him doing a documentary you would do sit down and do those interviews instead he was on dick cavett or you know some other show but he really was so documented that we kind of treat it that way what was the schedule like i ended up being on for 19 months cutting i started in january of 2017 i think in the fall of 2016, they brought on the writer and an archivist to start doing research and collecting footage. I came in January of 2017, and I think I was done around August, September 2018. Uh, looking at your IMDb page, you switch back and forth between docs and narrative. What's the uh, the draw for, for switching back and forth, or is it, hey, anything to, anything to pay the bills? A little backstory. I was a, I grew up as a jazz musician uh, up in San Francisco, moved to Los Angeles with the hopes and dreams of being a musician of some sort, Uh, got a job at a music house for commercials, realized fairly quickly that I, music that I wrote, I enjoyed for myself and didn't want that to turn into work. So I kind of shifted into music editing at that commercial house. So I started doing music editing. Uh, The music supervisor kind of at the house was writing a screenplay based on his life. We, long story short, we started working on that. 
I taught myself how to cut so we could put together a little teaser for that film. Years later, the Robert Downey Jr. was good friends with the owner of our company. We gave him the teaser and the script. He loved it. He took it to Trudy Styler, Sting's wife. She loved him. Five years later, they get money to make the movie, and my friend brings me on as the editor. It goes to Sundance, wins director and best ensemble cast. I got an agent and became an editor. And a few months later, a friend of my father's was at my house and said, a friend of mine is putting together a documentary about teenage jazz musicians. Would you have any interest? I grew up as a jazz musician, absolutely. And so I got that job. And that kind of started the back and forth between scripted and doc. Originally, that the doc thing was so overwhelming that I thought, okay, I could only do this if it's something I really care about because it's so intense and you just are so in those lives of those people. So I did a few scripted before I found, before I came across the Deshaun Jackson, which was a football documentary and I grew up a sports fan. So I thought that would be fun. Um, so yeah, now it's just been going back and forth and I really love having the scripted side of things going into documentaries thinking about the three-act structure and storytelling and all of that in the back of my mind just from reading enough scripts and then going from the documentary world back to the scripted thinking outside the box throwing the script away and just looking at the footage you have and thinking about what can this turn into so I think it's been great and I I like going back and forth and then what about landing this gig? How did you land this gig with the Muhammad Ali film? Um, so about, I think it was about five or seven years ago, a, a doc called Silicon Cowboys about the history of the compact computer. Glenn Zipper was a producer on that. And so we got to know each other on that. And then a few years later, I get an email from him. Hey, what's your availability looking like? And I said, I'm around. Okay, I can't tell you anything about it but there might be something coming up a month later. Um, so it's an HBO thing. It's looking like it's getting close. You still available? Yes. Okay, it's an HBO two-part thing about somebody famous. Can't tell you who it is. Are you still available? Yes. <laughs> okay, it's Muhammad Ali. Great, sign me up. And uh, and he brought me on. And, and you said this material covered the span of an entire man's life. How do you organize that so that you can find what you need and and figure out how to start structuring do you have to structure the organization like you structure the story? So we had, I had a great assistant editor, Kristen Valentine, on the project. So she started a couple of months before me because the archival footage started coming in. Started with labeling everything, whether it was a sit-down interview, a fight, a TV show. You know, we came up with categories of what to label the footage, whether it was B-roll from the time or what it was. And then she broke it down into a folder of decades, then bins within years if she had the actual time. And then in the description of each clip, she would put the date if she had it. She would put as much information into the description of each clip. So I could do a search if I was looking for a specific time, if I was looking for a specific show, if I was looking for a specific fight, she would do as much as she could um, in the description of the clip and then also would watch each clip and put markers. I watched everything that came in 
she probably watched everything at least twice. She was so on top of the organization, it was unbelievable. Um, and then had a spreadsheet of everything that we had, so we could also search through that and know where it came from and and all of the details of the footage. And uh, were you cutting an Avid premiere? Yeah, Avid. Yeah, we had multiple bins with things overlapping, and then she had a bin that I never touched that was kind of the master bin of everything, so that everything would always track back, even if I moved things, made things different within one bin, it wasn't affecting the master clip. And then diving in was a tad overwhelming at the beginning, of course, but there were certain points that, you know, the writer had put together this pretty incredible he's a by trade a journalist so he basically wrote an article about Ali and you know most of his research was through books and looking on YouTube a little bit so he had a story that we were hoping we could put together with the footage that then existed but there were a few points the 1960 Olympics being the kind of first one that I knew was going to be a part of it um, so I just kind of dug into that and I started finding these little sort of pods of things that we were pretty sure were going to be in the film. You know, his battle with the Vietnam War and knew that that would be something. Certain fights we knew they had it in the in the original treatment. The idea was to split, you know, it's two part film. So to split the two parts in the middle of one of the fights that ended up changing and felt a little less satisfying to finish part one in the middle of a fight and not know what was, it wasn't cliffhanger enough as we had hoped, but I knew that that fight was going to be a big thing. So I just started attacking these little pods and then, you know, kind of putting things together to make the structure. Got it. So creating a bunch of, of smaller stories or subsequences that you, that you would then build. And did you, did you guys bother to do like the cards on the wall kind of thing, figuring out you know, yeah, a, a map? We had a we had a very loose cards on the wall. I mean, it was you know I, I have a picture. I do have a picture of that somewhere, which I will try to find <laughs> for you. Um, and it was per part. It was maybe twelve cards or fifteen cards. So very very broad. That was kind of where we started, and then there would be little, you know, then we'd be writing notes on those cards. But, but yeah, they were pretty, pretty broad-stroked cards. Roughly in chronological order, or was there some structure beyond that? No, it was. I mean, the the idea originally was to start with the 1960 Olympics, and then go back to his early life, and come, and then basically run chronological, carry on. Thales, who was the producer from HBO, came in and had a great note that starting with the 1960 Olympics just didn't feel right. It's too early in his life, but not, you know, far enough ahead and starting there and going back and then we get back to it so quickly. So he had the thought of starting with uh, a teaser of the Fraser fight that is the end of part one so we tease that but then it's basically a chronological and that was not necessarily by design from the start as much as as we dug in and having him tell the story it just kind of felt like it felt the most natural and the least forced it's also sort of the easiest it was 
it felt like it just felt right. Did you add temp music and where were you pulling from? Were you, were you going narrative temp? Were you looking at other documentary jazz? What was the thought? Yeah. I mean, you know, coming from a music background and having done some music editing in the past, I can't cut without music, even if it's, you know, just playing in the room or something. I, I just need that. If I'm starting a scene, I need to find a piece of music that kind of sets the tone for myself. Um, so yes, filling it with temp and a lot of Terrence Blanchard, Spike Lee stuff to start. Um, definitely some Miles Davis from his kind of not too out there and not too bop world, you know, those kind of late 60s, early 70s, which is where the main chunk of Ali's life really lived in the film. And then, you know, hitting needle drop stuff with James Brown and Otis Redding and, you know, music of the time to really kind of set that tone. Doc-wise, there was there was another doc that I did use the score uh, to kind of come up with some ideas, but I'm blanking the name. But mostly that kind of Terrence Blanchard and then I, and a couple of movies that I've cut in the past that had been tempted with Terrence Blanchard and then were <laughs> composed and... You know, so kind of across the board until we brought on our composer and then sat with him and went through some of the stuff that he had had and kind of started working with him, Marcelo Zarvos, to kind of temp and also, you know, set him up for composition. And at what point did that conversation start happening? When did he come on to start getting to make sure it was done on time? He was probably on for about six months it was probably after i was on for about a year so early 2018 i'm guessing if i remember correctly the music was tough antoine fuqua the director really wanted it to be cinematic and big um he didn't want it to feel like what a lot of documentary scores can feel like where they kind of set a bed and a tone he wanted the fights to live like a rocky fight you know he wanted them to feel big and finding that tone of kind of modern score but over this older footage and you know how much do we play with that it took some work so yeah he was on for a while and there was a lot of trial and error and he brought on a great music editor that really helped everything, um, you know, from taking temp to getting the temp to feeling at a place where it was ready for composition to also taking some of Marcello's compositions and repurposing some of it for other parts of this, of the film. We'll be back in a moment with more of my interview with Jake Bashinsky. Let's face it, we always need more storage for our media and projects, but sometimes having storage isn't enough because the more you have, the harder it is to find your files. Studio Network Solutions understands that. That's why their EVO shared storage servers provide industry-leading performance for real-time 4K and even 8K editing and also include an entire suite of features designed to help you organize and manage your media. Every system comes with built-in software so you can search, tag, and preview all your storage. Backup tools so you always know your media and projects are protected and integrations for Premiere Pro, DaVinci Resolve, Avid, Final Cut Pro 10, all included for free with your EVO shared storage server. As a special offer for my listeners, you can get 10% off of a new EVO system by going to studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and signing up for an online demo. 
If you're tired of rummaging through a mountain of drives to find your files, it's time to give your storage an upgrade. So before you add another drive to the pile, visit studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and discover a better way to store, share, and organize your media. And now back to my interview with Jake Pashinsky. Since he was on for so long, were you getting anything during the course of that, like, hey, drop this in, you know, here's a piano sketch or something like that. Yeah, we definitely, we got a lot, there was a lot of back and forth with that and a lot of him handing me stuff, me putting into the cut, watching with Antoine and the team and going back and forth. And yeah, there was a lot of, yeah, he being that he was on early enough for me to interact, it wasn't just lock picture and off to the composer, which was great. You know, because it, cha- uh-huh. it would change my cuts at times also. As a music guy, were you in on the the mixes when, when you were doing mixes? Yeah, luckily I got to go schedule-wise. It worked, and they brought me, and they, you know, everybody wanted me there. It worked out that I got to go to the mix, which was great. What do you think are some of the values of having uh, an editor in the mix? And what, what do you lose if you don't have the editor in the mix? The, the editor knows the movie probably better than anybody else involved and has lived with it longer than anybody else and and that being on the stage you know they you hand them the film they do some work and then we come in to sit in on the mix and you know things disappear Uh, you know whether they fall through the cracks or somebody thought it was a mistake or thought it wasn't necessary and you know those little things i think are incredibly valuable for the director and for the movie you know the the director's looking at such big picture things that those little things that they may have loved nine months earlier (laughs) they disappear on the stage and they're listening to the new score and the new sound design and that little clip of audio that is gone they may not hear. So there's that. And there's also, you know, the amount of times that the the mixer looks to the editor to say, what was the intention here? What was the thought in your temp score? The music was really low. Was that on purpose or was that just what happened? Having those conversations on the stage, if you have the time, you know, I think can be incredibly valuable for everybody. And it can also, you know, from the producer side, can speed things up sometimes can also slow things down if you get too bogged down in conversation. Do you have an approach to documentary material, like when you're looking at stuff, or is it so different with every documentary? Like so many people, when they're dealing with narrative, they say, oh, I have this way that I approach a narrative scene. This is how I look at it. This is what I do. Maybe I make a select reel, maybe I don't. Is there such a thing as an approach to documentary material? You know, a long time ago, a an editor, friend of mine, sort of mentor, Jeff Wolf who has done a ton of scripted stuff and has more recently started making his own documentaries. You know, one of the things he said was, you start with 100 hours of footage, your first goal is to get it down to 50 hours of footage. And then you got your 50 hours of footage and your goal is to get it down to 25 hours of footage. And then, and I, that's always in the back of my mind, though I also know that it's not always a reality. Um, you know, and especially on this, we were dealing with upwards of a thousand hours between footage and audio and it's like I can't I, I can't even begin to think about that or else I'll just walk out but it does it depends on the documentary you know the the difference between an historical documentary with interviews and a verite documentary and the difference in director styles and whether or not there's 
a writer slash story producer on board. I mean, there's so many factors that go into it. I've worked with Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Freeman a few times, and they, when they do their interviews, they get the transcripts and they highlight and they give me, you know, they hand me a binder of here are selects from the, from the interviews. And so that's a place to start with them. But then, you know, like I said, on this, diving into sections that I knew existed that I thought could be part of the story and, and trying to find that rhythm and and feeling to the doc in the first place. You know, it's diving into these things. It's like, how serious are we going to be? How fun are we going to be? Is the cutting going to be very straightforward or are we going to get a little artful? Like, you know, figuring that out at the beginning is such a big part of it in the first place. Um, And for me, I try to just kind of like sit in the footage and kind of feel like what what is it giving me and how was it shot? You know, was it shot in a way that I... I can be a little more playful and artful or is it shot very straightforward and it just needs to feel like that? Yeah, it depends on the project though. I haven't figured out my method yet. <laughs> what kind of discussions do you have with Fuqua about tone or the artfulness of the edit? His big thing was, you know, his first thing that he said to me was the goal of this is to show what made Ali great. And that that was kind of what he kept harping back to is like why why was he doing what he was doing and so going in we didn't really talk about tone or much of of the editorial style and he let me go for you know a little while to dig into stuff and I cut a few things with kind of a few different styles and showed him things and it was like I like that I don't like that I like that I don't like that and then I kind of took it you know kind of analyzing those notes and took it from there. He wanted it to feel cinematic. He wanted it to feel like as much as a, I think in his mind, scripted story as possible. And the the man lived an incredibly script. You could not write this, this story. So I was able to take that. And just in the back of my mind, thinking about his movies, and I think he had only done the one doc before, which was the Suge Knight doc, which I think took years to get done and I think was released after we were finished. So I didn't even get to watch that before to have any idea. And that was a much, it was basically him sitting down with Suge Knight and doing interviews and that was the the film. So that was a very different movie. But yeah, he, he kind of handed it to me and let me let me run, and then we would have the discussions when I had stuff to show. Did you get a paper cut, or was it more him looking at some of your, what you called pods, and going from there? How did, how did that back and forth work? We had conversations ahead of time. You know, I read his treatment, and we talked about it. And again, you know, he kind of stepped away as I got the footage to see what we could create. You know, we did the very loose cards pretty early on to just have these ideas of pods that I was going to dive into. We started getting some of the major clips transcribed, you know, whether it was a sit down interview on a show that he kind of any time he sat down and talked for more than half an hour, I would try to get that transcribed. And then I would hand those off to the writer 
you know, I would watch as well and pick stuff, but he would start going through those transcriptions and making selects of those that he thought one should just try to fit its way into the film or two could fit in a specific place. But he was around and we had a lot of back and forth and, and a lot of conversations throughout the process. Congratulations on your Ace Eddie. What do you think it is about this movie that stood out to your peers? The overwhelming kind of story that it is. I We talked about it a lot in the process. This could have easily been a 10 part, 10 hour thing. I don't know if it was budget or if it was just HBO's thing. I don't I don't know where that idea where the the thought came from, but I think one thing is just this, you know, you're dealing with possibly the most documented man in the history of America who never shied away from the camera and turning that into a concise essentially 3-hour film. I think, you know, not having interviews and really being an all archival film which is you know we're not the first people to do it but there is i think from the editorial standpoint more so than you know people that aren't editors understanding what that takes and what it means to get that done but it also it's a fun movie to watch it's an emotional movie to watch it's a story that from the biggest boxing fans to the people who think they don't like boxing either sit down and watch it and well I thought I knew about Ali but now I know more about Ali and the big I have good friends that are diehard boxing fans and one of them specifically who I emailed a bit throughout the process and he was like yeah sound you know should be good sounds interesting you know but his story's been told and he watched it and you know was like it was a fresh take on a lot of the stories that had been told and that was another thing you know going into it was when we were kings that's an hour and a half about one of the fights i have to try to show that fight in you know a couple of minutes and having sat and watched that doc and like the incredible footage they have from that fight what can i do and i found this one interview where it's after the fight, but he's talking about what he was thinking while he was in the fight. And, you know, and I played it as if we're hearing him thinking that while we're watching the fight. And it's a whole different thing. Yes, it's the same fight. We know who won. We know what happens. Yes, somebody had heard that interview at some point in the past, but we haven't watched that footage and heard that at the same time. It's an easy movie to watch and an enjoyable movie to watch and you know i think it it stuck out to people but also i think as far as editing goes i guess in that easy to watch thing is with such a big story to be able to sit down and not feel overwhelmed with the information that you're getting and that was you know i wanted people who don't know him don't care about him think they don't like boxing to be able to sit down and enjoy it even though there is a lot of boxing in it I think we did a good job getting it out there. And when you're watching to judge your peers, what are some of your considerations? What makes you look at something and go, that guy should be up on the stage with me? <laughs> you know, I, I think for me, it starts with, I try to watch and just sit and enjoy the film and not analyze the editorial. Editing is such a weird art form to judge on a few levels, but one mostly because unless you're in the room, you don't know who's making those decisions. Is the director sitting back there saying two more frames there, three more frames there, that shot, then this shot, then that shot? 
or is the editor putting stuff together and the director's walking in and says, looks great, here's a couple of notes and walks out. Like, it's such a hard one to say that that's great editing by the editor, you know, as opposed to great editing or great storytelling. And there, and so I try to sit back and enjoy the film as a, as a first step. If I don't enjoy the film, it's hard to say it's great editing because it is such a major part of storytelling. How engaged in the story are you with things that I love? And I think, you know, have done that job. I go back and watch again and then really start looking at the cuts and thinking about structure and thinking about what may have been on the page or what wasn't on the page, you know, and start overanalyzing. You know, one of the other things that I think that I had the pleasure of doing on this was, you know, we went out to the two shoots we did were one was in Manhattan Beach and we were on a stage and built a ring and did some beauty shots of the ring, got a couple of actors in to come in and, you know, mimic some boxing and shot some of that stuff. And I got to be on there on the stage with Antoine shooting and discussing where and how that would all work in the film. And then the other shoot we did was in Pennsylvania where Ali in the early seventies built a training camp and it's still there. This beautiful piece of land that he bought and built these log cabins that are all still intact. And how could we use this beautiful location in this film that we're doing where we're not shooting much? That process, I think a lot of people think of editorial as you're stuck in that black hole and the footage comes in and it is what it is. But to be involved in that process and and be a part of that decision making and having input into what we're shooting so that I can actually use it as opposed to them just shooting stuff that, you know, then doesn't get used. So what input did you have? Obviously it was requested, but then what was the value of having you there? Um, you know, in the first shoot that we did where we were on the stage with the, with the ring and the boxers, that was about six months into the process. So it was go through what I had cut at that point look for places where we might be able to use things and or places that if we haven't done it yet, ideas that could potentially fit in and sitting with him while we were shooting and having my laptop with a couple of the scenes that I cut and discussing, you know, how we would go into stuff. There was, you know, again, for that 1960 Olympics, we knew that that was going to be one of the major fights. I kind of picked a few of the major fights that we would potentially use some footage for, you know, at such a young age, you know, he was always known for his fast feet. And at such a young age, I started noticing in the footage that it started very early. You know, one of the shots that I wanted to make sure to get was a close up of somebody's feet because that 1960 footage, they're not doing anything like that. It was basically, you know, let's get the wide shot and, you know, maybe get the faces at the end. But it was, they weren't thinking about that you know, they didn't know him. So why would they be focusing on his feet? So there were little things that I would notice in the archival footage that if it was stuff that was shot on 4K or it was stuff that was scripted, it'd be like point out the fact that this 18 year old kid who's in Rome, Italy from, you know, the South of America in this stage, he's in his corner looking like he's ready to go and nobody knows who he is. And look at the way his feet are moving. And you would shoot that if you were, you know, going back to the going back and forth between the scripted and the doc space. 
I'm thinking the footage that would come in in a scripted show, you know, they would give me all that coverage. They would be thinking about all that coverage and not that that doesn't happen in Verite docs, but you don't always have the time and the money and the, the ability to get as much coverage as you would like, because the fight happens once, you know, if you're shooting a boxing match, if you don't have seven cameras, it comes and goes. So thinking about that stuff and then tonally when we went out to Pennsylvania is how do we introduce this new location, this beautiful, far from what anybody would think of. And this place was just lush, green, beautiful, and trying to figure out how those two can work together. And some of this footage that I saw and trying to figure out those real transitions. So being there and living in the space and looking around and like, yes, I remember that building from the archival footage. Let's, you know, if we can, you know, do some sort of pan to it that I can then pan out of, you know, thinking about those and having those conversations really helped. Yeah. The transitions are the trick with some, with those things that are very different, right? Yeah. Than the rest yeah. of the material. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, a great conversation and yes. um, uh, it was wonderful talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Art of the Cut podcast. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a Topic-Driven, Curated Experience. Thanks again to my guest, Jake Pashinsky. I'm Steve Hallfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hallfish. Also, subscribe to this podcast and give it a review, please. Then be sure to spread the word and tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend.